Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Carrie Antholis. This season of Jury Duty explores the criminal trial stemming from the tragic death of Ahmad Arbery, a 25-year-old black man who was pursued by three white men, Travis and Greg McMichael and William Roddy Bryan, and was eventually shot to death by one of those men, Travis McMichael. With verdicts of guilty rendered against the three defendants, we continue our complete coverage of the trial from gavel to gavel. In our last episode, we began our look at Prosecutor Linda Dunikowski's rebuttal closing as she rehashed many of the legal concepts that she laid out in her closing argument, but did so while repeatedly pointing out many of the flaws in the defense team's case. We concluded that episode with Dunikowski's arguments that the defendant's assertions of self-defense claims fail when the law is weighed against the facts in this case. In today's episode, the prosecutor dissects the defense arguments that their clients were engaged in attempting a lawful citizen's arrest. That's coming up right after the break. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Prosecutor Linda Dunikowski, again using a PowerPoint presentation, begins this section of her rebuttal with a review of the citizen's arrest law. All right, so let's go ahead and take a look at citizen's arrest, because this is really important. The law of citizen's arrest, okay? So first off, the defendants never ever said citizen's arrest. They never ever said we're making an arrest. They never said we saw him commit a crime. So ladies and gentlemen, where in the world did the citizen's arrest thing come from? Because it didn't come from the defendants on February 23rd, 2020. Where did it come from? So what is the law? A private person may arrest an offender if the offense is committed in his presence. What does that mean? Right here, right now, I saw you commit an offense, okay? I saw you criminally trespass on that property right here, right now, on February 23rd, 2020. I saw you commit a burglary. I saw you commit whatever crime it is, it's in your immediate presence or within immediate knowledge, okay? We talked about that. The guy at Walmart is not standing next to the shoplifter when she shoplifts, but in real time, what's he doing? He's watching it. We're not talking about videotapes. You can't watch a videotape from November and then have it in your immediate knowledge, okay? Remember, the judge is gonna tell you it's synonymous. It means the same thing. In your presence or immediate knowledge means immediately you know because you saw it. That's what that means. That doesn't mean watching a videotape on February 11th with Officer Rash in front of 220 Satilla Drive. That's not what that means. A private person may arrest an offender if the offense is committed in his presence. Did Ahmaud Arbery commit any offense in the presence of any of these defendants? The answer to that is no. Boom, citizen's arrest is gone. But yes, I am gonna continue because there's some more caveats. If the offense, the one that was just committed in your presence, is a felony. Do you get why they're trying to make Ahmad a burglar so desperately? Because if all he's doing is criminally trespassing, 
closings but this is not an accurate statement of the law that the court is going to give this jury the parenthetical is not accurate the parenthetical is mine totally mine okay. well, I, i've made an objection though i'm asking a just explain yeah the parenthetical is the what the state is arguing the rest uh is the charge of the court the charge is going to be provided to the panel and um, with the same explanation I provided a little bit earlier on what the law is going to be, the court is going to provide you the law of the case. <clears throat> Counsel, um, you may proceed. Thank you. So, okay, the first sentence is, a private person may arrest offender if the offense is committed in his presence. Okay, you can arrest if the offense is committed in his presence. If the offense, and that's my parenthetical to remind you, if the offense, we're talking about that offense, the one that was just committed in your presence is a felony, and the offender is escaping or attempting to escape right then and there. Which that is not the not. law that the court's going to give, and, and we've had this discussion. We've it's a talked mistake. It's a misstatement of the law. We would object. I join in the objection. It's noted. You'll understand this is my argument. The judge is going to give you the law, right? And he's going to have it written out for you, and he's going to read it to you. But this is the state's argument that. The offender is escaping or attempting to escape. The state's position is, is that what that means is, I saw the crime, I can't chase after the person, I just have to try and arrest them right there. But if it's a felony, if it's a felony, and if they're escaping, they're running away, I get to chase after them. I don't get to chase after them unless it's a felony and they're trying to escape, all right? A private person may arrest him upon reasonable and probable grounds of suspicion. That's the state's we, we position. Have to, we have to object and have a conference with the court. No, we're going to let the state continue. We talked about this in the charge conference. The objection is noted. We move from this trial. Based on the incorrect statement of the law, we join. Ladies and gentlemen, if you could please just go ahead and take a step into the jury room. The defense is objecting to Prosecutor Dunikowski's assertion that, in the case of a felony, the individual who is attempting to chase a suspect in order to make a lawful citizen's arrest must have witnessed the felony that was committed. During the sidebar, Judge Timothy Walmsley acknowledges that there is some merit to the defense objection, but denies the mistrial motion and instead suggests that the prosecutor differentiate between what she is arguing and what the judge's instructions to the jury will be. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. Thank you for your patience. I understand we are ready to proceed. Yes, thank you, Judge. Ladies and gentlemen, like I said, the judge is going to give you the law. He's going to read it to you. He's going to give it a copy to you. So you're going to have it back there with you. I encourage you to read it. So let's get back to where we were, the law on citizens' arrest. Where we are is a private person may not act on the unsupported statements of others alone. Okay? All right. So what that means is, once again, we're back to, did the offense happen in your immediate presence or in your immediate knowledge? How do you get immediate knowledge? Meaning immediately it happens, synonymous, right? So that isn't rumor, gossip, hearsay that a crime has been committed or that some other person thinks this other person committed this crime. You can't base your citizen's arrest on that sort of stale information from unreliable sources. That's not what you can do, okay? You can't base an arrest on gossip alone. Facebook does not alone give you probable cause to go arrest somebody. Rumors in the neighborhood 
do not give you probable cause alone to go and arrest somebody. That's not what immediate knowledge is. A private citizen's warrantless arrest must occur immediately after the perpetration of the offense or in the case of felonies during the escape. Okay, so what's that mean? Why is warrantless highlighted? Okay, because a citizen's arrest is a warrantless arrest. You don't have an arrest warrant that, you know, a law enforcement officer has sworn out before a judge at all. This is a warrantless arrest. And so for the warrantless arrest under citizen's arrest, the arrest must occur immediately after the crime was committed or in the case of a felony during the escape. That means the person's escaping, you're chasing them, and you have to arrest them right then and there. That's what that means. Now, remember, the defense got up here and said, well, of course, how would a law enforcement officer ever arrest anybody if the crime happened over here and then they arrest them later? Well, we all know that law enforcement officers go out and get arrest <coughs> warrants, okay? That's what they do. They go ahead and they, 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 know, they know Linda has been committing shoplifting, okay? They get called, they witness her, she runs out, okay? They don't arrest her that day. So the, what does the officer do? He takes out an arrest warrant for her. That's how she gets arrested later on the arrest warrant for shoplifting, because she wasn't arrested by the law enforcement officer on that day when he saw her shoplifting. He takes out a warrant and arrests her later. So that answers that question that the defense brought up. All right, law and citizen's arrest. If the observer fails to make the arrest immediately after the commission of the offense, or during escape in the case of felonies, his power to do so is extinguished. Okay? So, when you're in the store and the woman's shoplifting and you go to do a citizen's arrest, you have to do it right then and there. She comes back in the store four days later, yeah, you, you can't arrest her. You can't do a citizen's arrest four days later. It has to, if you fail to make that arrest immediately after the commission of the offense, you have no power to do a citizen's arrest. It says, in other words, this is me sort of summarizing it for you. This is the state's argument. You all understand that, right? This is just the state's argument. And the state's argument is that citizen's arrest is for emergency situations when something's happening. They are right in front of you, and you want to go ahead and act as a citizen and arrest the person because you just saw the crime happen. That's what it's for. So what we have is the state's argument to you that the crime is committed in your presence, Immediate knowledge is not the unsupported statements of others alone, that a private citizen's warrantless arrest must occur immediately after the offense, and if it's a felony and the offender is escaping or attempting to escape, you can chase them and then make your arrest. Okay? That's it in a nutshell, right there. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. After completing her rebuttal argument for what the citizen's arrest law means, Dunikowski begins to make her case for how the jury should apply the citizen's arrest law to the facts in this case. She does so by taking the jury through all of the evidence that would have been available to the McMichaels and to William Bryan that a crime had been committed by Ahmaud Arbery. All right, so we're going to apply that law to the facts of this case, right? So what crime are we talking about that they thought he had committed? Was it clear to you at all, based on their closing arguments, what they were talking about? All right. Well, it can't be October 25th, 2019, because Ahmad was on the dock, and he didn't take anything. All right? So... What do we have? Well, we don't even have criminal trespass. Because criminal trespass is when you enter on the property of someone else to do an unlawful act. All right, you decide. Did he enter on to 220 Satilla Drive on the dock to commit an unlawful act? Well, go ahead and look at the video. Didn't touch any of that stuff. Didn't steal any of that stuff out on the dock. Wandered around and looked around on the dock. All right? Let's talk about Larry English here. And what did he tell you? He told you this in his deposition. Nothing had ever been stolen from the construction site in all of 2019 and the first two months of 2020. Let's be really, really clear. This whole boat thing, that's a red herring. All right? Total red herring. Nothing had ever been stolen from the construction site. And you can see how much stuff is in there. You got lumber. You got all this stuff. Mr. Arbery never shows up with a bag, doesn't back a U-Haul up to it and start loading out that big saw or anything like that. What does he do? He wanders around inside for a few minutes and leaves. That's all he does. But during late October or the beginning of November 2019, we have no idea what the actual date is, Larry English climbs up a ladder and looks down into his boat that's parked there and goes, oh my gosh, my stuff's missing. He notices it sometime in the end of October, beginning of November. He can't even tell you what date that was, okay? And he calls Rash. He goes, okay, Rash, you know, what do I do? And he talks to Rash about this and says, well, I don't know when the stuff was stolen. I don't know who stole it. I think it was my subcontractors who stole it. They're the first suspects. But he also notes that the boat had been back and forth to Douglas where he lives during this time frame. So Larry English, when he's talking to Rash, now knows, I don't know when it was stolen. I don't know who stole it. I don't know where the boat was and he decides to not even get the police involved. Because what does Rash say? If you want to report it to the police, what do you do? Call the non-emergency number and an investigator will come out and take a report from you. We'll interview you, figure out what everything is. But what are the suspects from Larry English's point of view? Well, it's his subcontractors. It's the looky-loos, the white couple with the bag. I mean, that's from the 911 call. He thinks they're the people. And then it might have been the four teenagers in Douglas. So it can't be sometime in October, November when Larry English noticed the items missing from the boat. 
okay? Because we don't even have enough for Larry English to call the police and even do an investigation into this because he doesn't know where the boat was, much less what date the stuff was stolen off the boat was. We don't know what date this took place. So he never told Travis McMichael, never spoke to Greg McMichael, never talked to William Ryan Bryan about any of this, this, this boat thing, okay? Travis McMichael knew the boat thing from gossip, an unreliable source, stale information. Who told it to him? He told you, his mother. Greg McMichael knew about this from Officer Rash. And what did Rash tell you? Yeah, I went down and talked to Greg McMichael and told him that Larry Inkers had the stuff stolen off his boat and that he suspects his contractors. They knew better. What was the intent? I mean, Officer Rash told you, my intent here was for Greg McMichael to be a good witness for the police. He's supposed to be a good witness. If he sees the guy over there again, he's supposed to call 911. And then he's supposed to go, hey, he went this way, he went that way. That's what he's supposed to do, be a good witness. Greg offers his contact information to Officer Rash to give it to Larry English, but Larry English never gets this text. He totally ignores it. Never makes contact with Greg McMichael. Never authorizes Greg McMichael to act on his behalf at all. Now, Larry English, it's completely reasonable. This is what the owner wants. Find him, talk to him, and tell him not to come back. Okay? That's a totally reasonable response. What did Officer Rash tell you? One of the last questions Officer Rash was asked on the scene, what did he say? Well, if Larry English had called the Glen County Police Department to report the theft of items from his boat, what would have happened? An officer would have been assigned to investigate the case, meaning he would have interviewed Larry English. What would he have said to Larry English? Sir, what was taken? When was it taken? Well, Larry English wouldn't have been able to say when. And who took it? Well, it was my subcontractors, I think. But then there was this white couple, I think. And by the way, I think they're living under the bridge. And, you know, I don't know. And then there's this young man who keeps coming in, but he never takes anything. So this idea that Ahmad would be a suspect, he's a suspect along with a whole bunch of other people, okay? So here's the problem. If you're a suspect and you're a suspect and you're a suspect, the police don't automatically go, I'm gonna arrest him. I mean, that's not what they do. So then we got the white couple with the bag. He calls the police on December 2nd. They're the suspected boat thieves now. Remember, even on December 1st, he's calling the police going, yeah, these are the thieves who stole the stuff off my boat. I want you to go and check them out. At this point, Dunikowski digresses for a moment to direct the jury's attention to the difference in the actions taken by the McMichaels and Larry English when they suspected this white couple of theft. Now, here's what's really important. Larry English called the police and said, please go check out the white couple. They're homeless, living under the bridge. He did not go himself to confront the people under the bridge. I want you to compare and contrast this. Because what do we know about Greg McMichael and Travis McMichael at this point in time? July 13th, they went down and confronted the homeless man under the bridge with their guns. And then called the police to tell them about it that he's a shady looking guy. Dunikowski next discusses the incident upon which the McMichaels rely most heavily in their argument that they had probable cause to believe that Ahmad Arbery had committed a crime. February 11th. Travis McMichael runs home, tells his dad they get their guns, and they head back down to 220. He says, I'm calling parked in front of 220. All right? Where's Greg McMichael? 
at that time? He's inside with his gun, about to run into Diego Perez, who's inside with his flashlight and his gun. So now we November 18th, 2019. They don't know anything about November 18th, 2019, until they're shown some videos on February 11th of 2020. So they don't even know about this. And it can't be December 17th, 2019, because nobody knew about that at all. Even Larry English, I don't know. I found these on my phone. I never paid attention to them. Police weren't called. Nothing happened. All right, but what do we know? Oh, I want you to watch this. What's Mr. Arbery doing? Here's what we know Mr. Arbery did on December 17th, after he went in there for a few minutes and looked around, didn't take anything, didn't damage anything. This is what he did. So, can't be February 11th, 2020. That's not the crime we're talking about that they're trying to do a citizen's arrest for. Because a private citizen's warrantless arrest must occur immediately after the offense. If you fail to immediately arrest, you can't arrest later. Okay, and what do we have here? Well, we know what we have here. We have a criminal trespass at the most, according to law enforcement officer Rash, who then said it was loitering prowling. But first off, I want to address this. Empathy, once again. Where's the empathy from Travis McMichael? Travis McMichael's point of view is, I pulled up and I got out of the car and had a confrontation with this guy because I, I, I was about to say, what are you doing here? And then he put his hand near his pocket and then I jumped back in my car. Well, okay, let's think about this. Empathy. Do Ahmad's actions afterwards, does it look like he thought he was just in a confrontation when he walked into the house on February 11th? What did he do when he walked in the house on February 11th? <coughs> Wandered around, looked around for a few minutes and was gone by the time Diego Perez gets over there with his gun, right? So what do we got? Does it look like he just saw someone in a car out front and it was no big deal to him? I don't know. I don't know what he's thinking. I have no idea. You saw the video. What does it look like from the video? Is he in there hiding? Is he in there crouched down? Or is he just wandering around as usual inside? Remember, no one had ever told him to not be on that property. So. The thing is, what you're saying to me is you're going, but Linda, the defense got up here and said he's a burglar. He's a burglar, he's a burglar, and he committed all these burglaries. Well, why are they saying that? Well, because they want it to be a burglary, so that's a felony, so that if he's escaping from that felony that he committed that burglary, they can chase him down. But they didn't know he had done anything that particular day on February 23rd, 2020. What's burglary? When without authority and with the intent to commit a theft therein, that person enters or remains within the dwelling of another. Okay. Criminal trespass. When that person knowingly and without authority enters upon the land or premises of another for an unlawful purpose. Okay, so what do you got? Kind of really similar. One's a felony, one's a misdemeanor. Right? Criminal trespass, a misdemeanor. So what's really important right now is what did the defendants know on February 11, 2020? What did they know? We've got a dumpster out by the driveway. There's some blacks right in there. Is that right? They, uh, uh, matter of fact, I don't come to think of it, I kept forgetting about them. They have some kids that age that hang around that house. Well, I've been there for an actual a report of an alleged assault or whatever. 
and it's the kids they have are only females. Now, I don't know if it's one of them's boyfriend. They only had daughters there, so it could be unless somebody's moved in with them or whatever. But, um, yeah, nobody seems to know who this kid is, where he's coming from. But, like, he's always, and all the times on the video that Mr. English just sent me, he's sending me one now, it's always been just in there plundering around. He hasn't seen him actually take anything. I said, so, you know, it's criminal trespassing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. very least. So, well, ordering and prowling. I had it reported. It's stolen yeah. on the first right down the road. Um, now, we did have, um, I took a report down the road here at a house on the corner. The guy where the Jeep and all is, he had some stuff stolen, of some guns stolen, but we got on video the car that people had come in and stole them. They were from another neighborhood. Yeah. How y'all doing? What's up, man? Hey, what did they know? In front of Travis McMichael, Greg McMichael specifically says to Officer Rash, this is criminal trespassing. A misdemeanor. Why is it criminal trespassing? He's never taken anything. He's never stolen anything. Nothing had ever been taken from the construction site. Officer Rash says it's loitering and prowling. So on February 11th, 2020, at 7.30 at night, Travis McMichael and Greg McMichael know there's absolutely no evidence that Mr. Aubrey has committed any felony or theft from the construction site from the owner himself and from a police officer. But the defense, of course, says, well, there are things of value in there. Okay, but those things of value have been in there. They were in there all of 2019. They were in there October, November, December, January, and February. And they were never stolen or taken, ever, by anyone, including Mr. Arbery. It's not a burglar. That concludes this episode of Jury Duty, The Killing of Ahmad Arbery. On our next episode, we will continue our examination of Prosecutor Linda Dunikowski's rebuttal closing argument as she steps back from the details of the facts and the law and offers the jurors a proposal for how to analyze the case. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. You can find more information about this trial at crimestory.com. Jury Duty is created, produced, and hosted by yours truly, Carrie Antholis. Our consulting producer is Paul Butler. It was co-produced and edited by Chris Taracone. Music was provided by Strike Audio. Trial Audio is courtesy of Law and Crime Networks. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty the killing of Ahmad Arbery. <laughs>